This episode is brought to you in part by Richmond Graduate University. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly. Richmond Graduate University can equip you to become a licensed professional counselor, integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. Welcome to the Grace Enough podcast. I am your host, Amber Cullum. This week, I sit down with pastor and author Scott Sauls. We discuss the message behind his newest book, Beautiful People Don't Just Happen. Working out our salvation is like going into the gym and strengthening muscles that we already have and that, that, that cannot be severed from us, right? We, we, once we're in, we're in with God. Salvation is fixed. It's permanent. Um, you can't lose it. Uh, nothing in all creation can separate you from God's love, including you. I guess I'm trying to inspire people to understand that the, the hardest points of life, the most disorienting points of life, are actually the gymnasium where God makes us stronger. Scott shares some of the shifts he's experienced in the church over the last 25 years as a pastor. He also shares what it means to bring our not-enoughness to God and how we can abide in Christ. As we begin, I want to encourage you to visit graceenoughpodcast.com to view today's show notes. Those show notes include a breakdown of today's conversation, Grace Enough merchandise, additional resources I use and recommend, and a link to my email community. graceenoughpodcast.com is not only a place where we can stay connected, It is a place where you can help support the production of the show through purchasing from the links provided at no extra cost to you. I really appreciate each and every one of you who listen and who regularly visit the website utilizing the resources available to you there. Good morning, Scott, and welcome to the Grace Enough podcast. Hey, Amber, thank you for having me. Your book, uh, Beautiful People Don't Just Happen, has been one of my favorite reads for sure of this year. And so before we dive into that book, you have been in pastoral ministry for over 25 years. And so I would love to hear a little bit about your journey Mm -hmm. and also just what some of the big things are that you have seen shift in the church, in ministry um, over the last 25 years. Sure. Um, it's a big question. So yeah, I became a Christian uh, my senior year of college. And uh, my first job out of college was to be a youth director at a small church in the Atlanta area, was there for a year and a half, then went to Covenant Seminary in St. Louis for a few years to get my uh, Master's of Divinity, met my wife, Patty, there. And we went from there to Kansas City, where we planted our first church. Uh, We were there for seven years. Then we went back to St. Louis to be part of another church plant uh, that we uh, led for five years. And then got got an unexpected call from Redeemer Presbyterian in New York City, where my um, sort of mentor from afar, Tim Keller, you know, has been uh, as the founding pastor or had been as the founding pastor. And we, we were there for five years, never planned on leaving and just as God's uh, providence uh, would have it, uh, the door opened up for us to serve and for me to serve as senior pastor of the main church that sent Tim and Kathy Keller to New York uh, to plant Redeemer. Oh, uh, I didn't realize Christ- that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee. Yeah. So now how long have you been there? 10 years now. 
Okay. So what are some of those big shifts that you have seen? I mean, I feel like so much has happened just from a Mm -hmm. perspective of a believer in ministry, but what are some of those big shifts for you that you've experienced? Uh, In ministry, I I think that the environment we're in is a lot more anxious. Uh, I think that people are a lot more bold to, um, you know, confront whatever issues real or perceived that they have with leaders. Uh, And in some ways, that's a good thing because it elevates accountability. In other ways, it's a dynamic that's driving a lot of pastors out of ministry because uh, they're weary of um, being put on the hook for uh, either things that they can't help or control or being put on the hook for things that they don't actually believe or never actually said, but were received or heard, you know, through the Mm. grid of somebody's triggers, uh, somebody's personal triggers. And and so, I don't know, we live in a climate that is just is very sensitive to the conviction aspect of the gospel uh, and, and almost exclusively drawn into the compassion uh, aspect of the gospel, <laughs> unless we have somebody that we want to convict. Uh, and then, um, oh. I don't know, it's, it's uh, redemptive conversations are becoming more and more rare. Um, gossip under the guise of, um, you know, anonymity, uh, of anonymous, um, right. uh, chatter has, has almost been a baptized practice now. And so a lot of times, um, the way that pastors, uh, hear criticism is, is, you know, through second or third hand sources. Mm. Uh, and, and it just, you know, it, it, it becomes hard. I, you know, I, this isn't characteristic of my own experience over the years. Uh, there have been seasons where, you know, these sorts of things have risen to the surface, but I find as I work with pastors, I do, I do some work with Barna and other organizations Mm -hmm. that, you know, interface with pastors all over the place. And, uh, it's staggering to me how many pastors would say that the things I'm talking about right now are characteristic of, of, of their ministries and they, they don't even know what to do uh, about it. And I, I think this all started uh, to accelerate. It's not that it wasn't there under the surface beforehand, but I think it all started to accelerate when the pandemic began and, and all the, the anxieties and the culture war stuff that flowed in and through and out of that. Um, yeah. I think we're, we're all still kind of on a collective hangover from that. And so it, it's just a, a much harder climate uh, to to do ministry in, I think, uh, for a lot of leaders. I know. See, there's so many questions that I want to ask just from that answer. But I also, um, I do want to get to talking about your book, uh, Beautiful People Don't Just Happen. And I came across a review from someone that honestly is exactly the way that I feel. So I just decided I was going to read it. Um, You may not have ever read it. Uh, But be encouraged by what this gentleman wrote. Wes Van Fleet wrote, Goodness, Saul's always writes such helpful and caring books. This one spoke to me as if he and I were sitting down together talking about all the things that haunt me while being reminded of all I believe and hope for. You may need some tissues with this one, but I highly recommend it. And that that's exactly how I have felt as I have read it. And so I just want to ask you, it's a loaded question, but what do you mean by beautiful people don't just happen? So that title is actually taken from a quote um, from Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who's a grief expert. And um, the whole, the book isn't 
entirely about grief. It's about, no. you know, essentially contending with, with um, three pain points that every human being experiences. Uh, you know, one would be regret or just, you know, the, the way that we encounter guilt and shame uh, in our stories. Uh, the other would be hurt. Uh, you know, what, how, do we, how do we move forward and how do we show up uh, for life in a fallen world that's broken yeah. and subject to decay in every way? Uh, and then fear, um, you know, how do we contend with our worries about what lies ahead of us in the future? So, um, so it's a book really to kind of shepherd and hopefully counsel and pastor and, and care for people uh, who are going through one or more of those three pain points uh, and or people who are in the habit of showing up for those people, um, mm. whether it's pastors or professional counselors or um, you know, or just, you know, compassionate friends or, uh, social workers, et cetera, uh, or, you know, parents who are, you know, showing up for their grieving children or friends who are showing up for their guilty friends, you know? Uh, and, and so the hope is that, that it'll be that kind of book, but Kubler-Ross's quote is an aspirational quote where she says that the most uh, beautiful people we've ever known are people who have known defeat, you know, basically those who've hit bottom, uh, and find found their way out of bot the bottom and and have become the most remarkable, compassionate, approachable, uh, mm -hmm. tender-hearted souls. And then you know the last the last line of the the excerpt is beautiful people do not just happen. And so that's mm -hmm. where the that's where the quote came. And so so the book is sort of a it's an attempt to demonstrate how uh, number one the things that we loathe. The most about our lives, our regret, our hurts, our fears are actually the things that draw uh, the ministry of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ himself to us the most. He, he is like a moth to a flame with us, you know, coming in for the rescue in our guilt and shame and every pain and sorrow and in every fear that we have. He, he, is, he is drawn to us. Those are the very occasions for Jesus to move toward us um, as opposed to turning away from us. The whole book is just an attempt to convince people of that, um, that that's who Jesus is. That's what he's like. That's what he does. And the other thing I, I want people to, to consider, I hope people will consider, you know, it's just something I struggle with, is that these occasions of regret, hurt, and fear are actually the places, I call it in the book, God's gymnasium, where, where we're enabled to work out our salvation, as mm -hmm. the scriptures say, with, with fear and trembling. Now, working out is differently than, different than working on our salvation or working for our salvation. Absolutely. Working out our salvation is like going into the gym and strengthening muscles that we already have and that, that, that cannot be severed from us, right? We, we, once we're in, we're in with God. Right. Salvation is fixed. It's permanent. Um, you can't lose it. Uh, nothing in all creation can separate you from God's love, including you. And so I guess I'm trying to inspire people to understand that, that the hardest points of life the most disorienting points of life are actually the gymnasium where God makes us stronger. Mm. If, if we're willing and postured to surrender to that thought, as opposed to growing cynical, like Job's wife did, uh, you know, to instead respond to the same kinds of circumstances as Job did. Yeah. Whew. And, you know, just surrendering himself to the Lord's wisdom, the Lord's timing, surrendering ourselves to the belief that if we knew everything that God knows, and if we saw everything that God sees, we'd be completely on board with everything that's happening in our mm -hmm. lives. You know, that's what brought the apostle Paul to say in his thorn in the flesh, um, you know, episode where he's got this messenger, he says that came to him from Satan 
Uh, and yet God is the one who is overseeing the whole thing and taking what is intended by evil and turning it into good. Uh, and he says that, that God took him through a process where he actually learned to delight even in weaknesses, insults, persecutions, hardships, and difficulties, because it's in those places where he is weak, that he gets the workout. Uh, mm -hmm. Where I'm weak, that's where I'm strong, because that's where God's power rests on me. I want people to access that. I want yeah. me to access that. I, you know, I, I'm a struggler with my own words uh, on, right. on these things, but, but um, these are truths that I think we all have access to. And yeah. Hopefully the book is one of the many good resources out there to, to help people do that. Yeah. Well, and I love that you share that about Paul, because first of all, he's working out his salvation and we're not 100% clear on how long it took him to finally embrace, you know, that his weaknesses were actually what made him stronger in Christ, because that is a process. We also see him say, oh my goodness, I'm the worst of sinners. Like at times I do what I don't want to do and, you know, vice versa. And so mm -hmm. that is where the comfort comes in, right? For the believer is that we see this, these people actually living through all of these things and then still struggling yet still getting better. Paul's journey is a, a wonderful picture of that. You know, where he talks about how the outward man is you know, wasting away, but the inner man is being renewed day by day in second Corinthians four. Um, there's a, there's a building up on the inside, even as he's torn down on the outside, you know, the key for Paul is obviously number one, the ministry of the Holy spirit is active and alive in his life. And his awareness of the person and work of Jesus is, is amplified mm. immensely because of that. Um, but he also has some submitting to do, uh, to, to the wisdom and ways of God. And yeah. as he submits, uh, he becomes a gem, uh, of a, of a soul. And again, we're, we're all, you know, and Tim Keller in his, uh, endorsement of the book, uh, talks about, uh, how a piece of coal is, is compressed, um, with, with pressure on every side. Uh, and that's how a diamond is formed. Uh, and that's a great metaphor for, for what, you know, theologians call sanctification in, that's right. in the Christian life. That's right. This episode is brought to you in part by Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries, which prepares Christian women for leadership. At Bow, we believe that every woman is a leader because she influences someone. So whom do you influence? Do you mentor a woman, serve in the workplace, or do you lead a small group? teach the Bible, or even lead an entire ministry? No matter who or how many you influence, our free online resources will help equip you. Our videos, podcast episodes, and articles from experienced women leaders will encourage you and perfect your leadership skills. They offer wisdom for dealing with ministry pitfalls, current biblical issues, health for your own soul, and insights for shepherding others well. In addition, BOW offers Bible studies designed to connect women of multiple generations. They provide a challenge to both women new to the Bible and those wanting to dig deeper. Be our guest and browse all of our free resources and low-cost Bible studies at beyondordinarywomen.org. Well, as you do spend time on these pages, just talking about some of the sadder, uh, darker seasons of our life actually being what has helped you see the goodness of God. And I know that's something that I relate to so deeply when um, we'll talk a little bit in a while about your struggle at times with anxiety and depression. That's a part of my story as well. And how when you're in the midst of it, it doesn't always 
feel like you're seeing the goodness of God, but Mm -hmm. as you walk through it, I can agree that it's some of the times that I've really experienced and began to believe more in the goodness of God. And so will you share maybe a few things that have happened in your life when that has been true? They were hard, they were dark seasons, but your belief in God and his goodness was actually strengthened as a result. I mean, I think the pandemic, um, you know, and what the pandemic meant for pastors, where we uh, both have to double the output of our ministry um, because everything has to be provided digitally as well. And we lose all of our volunteers uh, all at the same time. So it's on us, it's on our staff. And, you know, our job is to keep staff encouraged uh, in a time where it's almost impossible to stay encouraged um, because your workload is significant and the, the, the people of God are still out there, uh, you know, isolated in their own private, um, socially distanced worlds uh, indefinitely. Some of them scared for their lives and, and you're trying to reach them through very unconventional means to stay in touch. Uh, and, you know, most pastors lost roughly, you know, touch with roughly 60% of their congregations, uh, many of whom never came back. Uh, And, and now at the end of the pandemic, uh, most of us have the narrative that, that we lost a ton of people who've never come back. And we've also gained all these new people. And so now we're scrambling to uh, assimilate new people into the life of, of the community. And so it's just, it's just work upon work upon work. And it's, uh, yeah, uh, so it's, it's, it's been a grind, but I'll tell you what, uh, during all that, to your question, the Psalms have become more precious to me than they mm-hmm. ever have been. Um, I think I'm preaching better than I ever have before <laughs> because, um, you know, there's a compassion and an empathy that, that comes through suffering that hopefully transla- translates to, yeah. to others. And, you know, hopefully I'm a better human. I don't know. Um, I guess you have to ask the people around me. You have to ask my wife and kids and people that I work with, but um, I hope I'm, you know, becoming refined in this process. I hope that this season will not end up being wasted uh, for sure. Mm-hmm. I don't think it is, but, um, but yeah, probably just the last two and a half years would be my answer to your question. Yeah. Ooh. And I, yeah, I mean, I think, and it may have been John Eldridge that said this, like, we're just really starting to see even some of the impacts mm-hmm. of that two and a half years, even though it was so hard in the middle, I think sometimes we're, we're just starting to see some of those impacts. And like you said, hopefully some of us have been made a little bit more resilient than uh, what we were before. I hope. Well, you write uh, the thing God wants most from you is an admission of your not enoughness. Uh, unpack that a little bit for us. Um, you know, the Bible from the very beginning uh, has been given to us and was given to us by flawed people, you know, starting back with, you know, Adam and Eve, who you know, wrecked it all for everybody. Mm-hmm. But also, you know, you look at the people in, in the lineage of, of Jesus's um, genealogy in Matthew chapter one. Um, mm. you know, who are archived, you know, your, your genealogy was your resume and, and Jesus seemed to amplify these people instead of edit them out. Uh, Abraham, who, you know, went on record as being a terrible husband <laughs> in certain instances, same with Isaac, <laughs> Jacob, who was a habitual deceiver and liar. Uh, David, who it says had Solomon by the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Um, you know, that's how he's listed in the, uh, the ancestry of Christ. Tamar, who was a 
an assault victim, um, Rahab, who was a prostitute, and, and on and on and on. You know, these are the, these are the people uh, that, that we talk about still, we name our children after. Um, mm. And, and um, you know, these are the flawed people through whom God chose to shake the earth. You know, Peter and his lack of emotional intelligence and, and impulsiveness, uh, or, or Saul of Tarsus, uh, who was on a murderous tear against the people of God until mm. he was brought into the fold. Um, you know, couple that with the fact that every book of the Bible, except maybe a handful, were written by people who were uh, slaves, uh, uh, exiled, uh, and, and, you know, taken into captivity by a hostile uh, other government, uh, mm-hmm. other country's government, in prison, like many of Paul's letters, um, yeah. uh, awaiting their death and their execution. Um, you know, 11 of the 12 disciples died as martyrs. And and so these are the people that gave us uh, the story of God. And uh, these are the people that uh, helped us to know uh, about the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so if that was the pattern for them, if that was the pattern for our Lord, then it stands to reason it, it ought to, we ought to expect it to be a pattern for us as well, even in the American West. Mm. <laughs> yes, even in the American West, for sure. Um so when you think about that, though, that not enoughness, what I've experienced a lot of times when I've listened to teachers or um, just been in Bible studies, it's easy to really want to point out all of the wonderful things about Bible characters and focus on mm-hmm. their gifting instead of the both and of the brokenness yeah. and their gifts. And so first of all, like, why do you think that's our tendency? And then second of all, what is it that like, what do we really miss out on when we're not educating and teaching people um, about how God really uses the both and, you know, the brokenness and the gifts? I think the human heart is wired uh, for uh, a good hero story, you know, so we want to find people that we put on pedestals and uh, we don't want them to get knocked off of those pedestals. And so, you know, oftentimes the, the hard, messy stuff is, is edited out maybe even subconsciously Mm. uh, of our, of our picture of the big picture. So I think that's one uh, reason why, and maybe another reason why is that we're, we're, we're scared of, you know, the hard realities that, that the Bible names even about the best lived lives. Uh, you know, add to that the world we live in of social media where, you know, everybody's constantly trying to curate, you know, a brand instead of Mm -hmm. presenting the most honest, transparent, real, full picture of who they are. Um, You know, we turn social media channels, which for for some generations is the primary way of communicating now Mm -hmm. and the primary way of relating to others, even when you're in the same room with each other. And, and, you know, we curate, you know, the highlight reel as opposed to the, the full picture. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that does a number on us. And I think the, you know, those in psychology and psychiatry would affirm that, that it's, yeah. it's created a bit of a, an epidemic of anxiety, depression, loneliness, uh, and all kinds of mental illness. And so it's a challenge, but, you know, we gotta, we gotta get people off the pedestal and realize that, you know, the very best of Abraham or the very best of Paul, the apostle, or the very best of Peter, James, and John, they're, they're really only pointers to Jesus, who is the one and only hero mm-hmm. who, who now sits on the one and only pedestal at the right hand of God, the father. Mm. 
Yeah, absolutely. I often wonder as well, like these application points that we have, uh, it's a little bit harder to come up with the application point for your talk or your message or your teaching um, if you focus on the negative, right? But I'm like, oh, but that's when people feel like, okay, I, God welcomes me. It's not me. Uh, it's not my accolades. It's not my successes and those types of things. And so uh, that, that's kind of the reason why I asked that question. But I want to dive in a little bit to abiding in Christ. You write about it. I'll be honest with you, abiding in Christ, I mean, walking with Christ for over 20 years now, like sometimes my brain still has a hard time really wrapping around what that means, what that looks like, what those implications are for me. And so when you talk about abiding in Christ, what are some ways that you, you know, challenge your congregation, challenge people to actually practice abiding in Christ? And I mean, maybe you can just tell us a little bit more what it means, because I, I have heard that it, very commonly, you know, people are like, I mean, what does it really mean to abide yeah. in Christ? Before sharing Scott's response, I want to acknowledge that there are good and valid reasons to step away from the four walls of the church. But it is vital to stay connected with the body of Christ and community on some level and to prayerfully search for a healthy place to worship Jesus. I also want to acknowledge the hurt many of you may have experienced as a result of being a part of an unhealthy church. And I believe there are circumstances where leadership needs to be questioned and held accountable. With that said, here is Scott's response to abiding in Christ. It's very simple, uh, really. It's right at everyone's fingertips. Be meaningfully involved uh, with a healthy gospel preaching local church um, with a church, not with many churches, but with a church. Don't replace your pastor uh, with a celebrity pastor podcast online and don't compare and contrast your pastor uh, with, again, uh, digital mm -hmm. ministry. Lean in uh, and be part of an embodied community, serve, live faithfully, give generously in that context. And then, you know, cultivate a habit of being fully present with your one local church every single Sunday, unless you're sick or away. So start there because that's, that's the number one thing you can do to show up where Jesus shows up um, and be with him. The only way that we can become like him is to stop trying to be like him and to be with him. Uh, and the scriptures assure us that he inhabits the praises of his people where two or three gather in his name or more. He is always there in their midst. And so show up when the church gathers. Uh, secondly, you know, cultivate a habit of being fully present with Jesus every day. Develop a personal, deep, abiding friendship with your Bible uh, and learn it, dig into it, dive into it, access all the wonderful resources that are available uh, and become a Bible person. I mean, I love what Charles Haddon Spurgeon once said, that a Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to somebody who isn't. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, there's no bypass road around these formation practices. And of course, a, a robust life of prayer and a handful of friends to, to walk through life with, uh, you know, who know you really well, uh, who know your strengths and your deficits, who have permission to speak into your life to help you grow and who give you the same permission uh, for them. Uh, that's it. Uh, if you do these things, which are things that, uh, you know, we've been told for centuries are the things that are going to form us as believers. Um, 
you know, add to that the sacraments. Um, don't check out when somebody else is being baptized. Really check in and remember your mm. own baptism when that happens. And of course, the the Lord's Supper is is meant as both physical and spiritual nourishment as well, mm. uh, as we take in literally our bodies and become one with the body and blood of Christ again and again and again. So much else to be said there, but that's what abiding means. It just means showing up where Jesus says he's going to be um, and, and stay there. Don't, don't be in a rush to move on to the next thing like Martha was. You know, Instead, consider Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, didn't rush at all, and, and was drinking in everything that he had to say. Oh, I love that. Because yeah, I think sometimes we can make it a little more difficult than what mm-hmm. it actually is, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you do write about your own personal struggle uh, with depression and anxiety and how debilitating that can be. And like I said earlier, like I get that on a very personal level. And so what have you found helpful when you're experiencing these seasons of, to quote you, no comfort in God's promises from the scripture Mm -hmm. and a struggle to pray? Yeah. So I think that's in reference to one of the more uh, flattening seasons of anxiety and depression, um, where really there was only one verse in the Bible that made any sense to me and that, that drew me in. Uh, and it was, it was a chore, but, but mm-hmm. a necessary chore to go back to that scripture over and over and over again. I can't even remember which Psalm it is, but it's one of the Psalms where it talks about how God led his people through the waters, even though his footsteps were unseen. Um, you know, which, which just to me was an invitation to trust that God loves you more than you love you. God knows what you need more than you do. Uh, and that he's leading you through these rushing waters in the same way that he led Israel through, um, through this by splitting the sea, even though you can't see his footsteps. Um, it's like Rich Mullins once, once saying there's, there, there's so much beauty around us with just two eyes to see, but we've got to, we've got to use the eyes that we have to, to look for what God's up to and, and for hints of, of where yeah. God might be showing up lest we miss the opportunity. Well, and I know you too talked about, you know, you're in a situation where you have a wife that's very helpful. And um, mm-hmm. I know for me, I mean, that's the thing. Like I just, I've said to people like, find that verse you know, for me, um, in different seasons, but particularly in what I have recently walked through, Mm -hmm. it was, you know, the Lord does not, he will not leave you and he will not forsake you. Like that's the only Mm -hmm. thing that I could just say over and over and over again, like reminding myself, he's not going to forsake me and just clinging to that. Like, I know exactly what you're saying. Mm -hmm. It's like getting into the word. It felt dead, even though you knew it wasn't dead, Mm -hmm. but then also I did the same thing and I know not everyone has a spouse, but just letting them know what's going on. If that's a counselor, if that's a dear friend and just asking them to faithfully pray for you. I mean, did you have some other people in your life doing that for you? Yeah, my wife, my brother. Um, yeah. I've got two pastors uh, named George Robertson and Bob Flayhart. They've they, you know I've known them both for a long time and they're both a, a bit ahead of me in the journey and, and they're yeah. very close confidants who, who know how to enter into the the space of a man and a, and a pastor who, you know, might be going through a valley. So it's important to have those people, whoever they are. And yeah. I've also got a, a counselor that I work with um, regularly named Chip Dodd, who's uh, based outside of Nashville uh, as well. So just surrounding yourself with that support system, you know, especially those who are in leadership, you, you, you absolutely need people pouring into you. Leadership isn't something that we're meant to do alone. Uh, mm-hmm. Even though, even though by definition, it's an isolating and at times lonely 
calling to be a leader of any sort. Yeah. Um, we, we've got to have those, you know, empathizers and challengers uh, in That's our right. lives. That's mm-hmm. right. Well, and even thinking about this book, you know, beautiful people don't just happen. Have you found in your relationship as anxiety and depression has been on the rise with just people in general, mm-hmm. like, do you find them coming to you and being more open and honest with you? You feeling more compassionate just because you understand uh, the journey they're walking through? I think so. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, there's a, there's this, uh, famous old saying, misery loves company. Um, you know, there's nothing like, um, just one other person who understands Mm -hmm. to walk with us through misery. I mean, the, the whole recovery movement is built upon that, right? You know, some people are trying to stay sober from whatever their addiction is. They go to a meeting every single day. Uh, mm-hmm. to, to, to be with the people uh, who are walking the same path that they are so they can walk it together. It's, um, you know, it's like the image of, you know, if you're, if you use coals to, to barbecue and if, if one coal escapes the pile of other coals, it will flame out a lot earlier uh, than, than the coals that, that stay together. And I think that's, that's also another metaphor for how life is meant to be lived in community. Mm. Yeah, that is a good word and how easy mm-hmm. it is at times to just say, oh, I'm frustrated and mm-hmm. I'm walking out. Yeah. Um, but that's like the last thing that we should do in order yeah. to stay healthy. Mm-hmm. Well, let's close with this. Since the subtitle of your book is how God redeems regret, hurt, and fear in the making of better humans, speak to the person, to the listener who may be struggling to believe that mm-hmm. God really does redeem those things. This is the really good news. Whether we feel God at work or not, God's at work. Amen. You know, Amen. one of one of my uh, friends and colleagues, Nathan Tasker, he's the director of music, liturgy, and the arts at our at our church. He's been through these kinds of seasons and and has become a deeply you know a deep well of mm-hmm. of truth and God's presence as a result. And one time he asked me the question, because we were in this discussion about, you know, what makes for a good worship uh, service? And he said, you know, I I might not be popular uh, with this perspective, Mm -hmm. but I think sometimes the worst thing that we can try to do in a worship service is wow people Mm -hmm. and try to create an experience for them. He says that that I think sometimes works against what God actually wants to do. And that is to form us. God does not want to entertain us or take our breath away for a moment as much as he wants to form us uh, into the mm. likeness of Jesus Christ. And, and, then he, and then he said, you know, with all due respect to those kind of, you know, mountaintop moments, right? I mean, they, they are part of, of walking with Christ, right. but they're, they're not meant to, like, we, we would be exhausted if every day, all day was just filled with ecstatic Highs. moments. Mm-hmm. and highs. There, there would be nothing to compare it to, and it wouldn't be enjoyable anymore eventually. <laughs> you know, exactly. Uh, you know, it's like people who live in California on the coast. I'm like, where do you go to vacation? Like, is, <laughs> is there such thing as, as, you know, you going they go somewhere. to Maine, <laughs> right? I mean, can you, is there such thing as you going somewhere and saying, wow, uh, you know, since you live in Colorado people as well, since you, but I have asked friends in Colorado, speaking of, like, how long did it take you to stop noticing all of this beauty around you? And mm-hmm. they said two weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, we haven't really paid attention to it, you know, yeah. since I mean, since I lived off point. of Tampa Bay and I mean, mm-hmm. same thing. I'm like, oh my gosh, I drove right. over this every day and yeah. now I miss it. 
Yeah. Well, here, here's kind of the last thing I'll, I'll say. I'll, I'll kind of finish the thought from, from Nate. Uh, he said, it's like the meals that we've eaten over the course of our lives. And he said, you know, how many mountaintop meals do you remember from your life? You know, and I'm 54 years old and I could only, I could only come up with seven or eight that I, that I actually remember. Yeah. And he said, okay, of those seven or eight that you remember, how many of them, uh, you, know, you know, if you ate that way three times a day, every day, what would your life be like right now? Well, num- number one, I would never be pleased with food just by, by no. comparison. And, you know, I'd get bored with five-star meals in the same way that Israel got bored with manna. Mm-hmm. So I would become cynical and I would be really fat. Um, you know, I'd, I'd be, t- I'd be 200 pounds. I'm, I mean, I'm overweight now, but I, I would be 200 pounds heavier probably than I yeah, am right now. That's right. Um, and tired all the time. And, mm-hmm. and he said, you know, isn't that a great metaphor for worship, mm-hmm. right? There, there are those moments and should be those moments where we are swept off, off, off of our feet and, you know, like the apostle Paul, you know, escorted to the vividness of the presence of God. But what forms us over, over the years is the, the meals that are completely forgettable, yeah. raw broccoli, um, yeah. snacking on almonds, uh, mm-hmm. or piece of chicken breast or, or whatever. Like these are, these are regular routine, mundane over and over meals that, that are forgettable. And yet, it's those meals that have not only kept us alive, it's actually those meals that have nourished us mm-hmm. in ways that the five-star meals have not. Uh, and like, wow, okay. And that doesn't mean that the goal of worship should be to, you know, to bore be, your people to death, quite the, quite the opposite. Mm-hmm. It's to give them substance. Uh, mm-hmm. It's to put honest songs about the humil- the human experience into their mouths instead of mm. triumphal songs that deny the suffering and, and difficulty of the human condition. Mm. Um, you know, that's part of why we, you know, the, the old hymns are such a, such a, they're not all that we sing, but they're such a rich part of what we do sing because yeah. they were written by people who, you know, with a life expectancy of 28, yeah. um, you know, and, and right. so they, you know, they didn't have time to mess around entertain being entertained. Wasn't a priority for them uh, when it mm-hmm. came to their, their walk with Christ, which is actually incidentally the same with the vast majority of Christians around the world right now. Um, mm-hmm. You know, even in our own day, uh, they wanted to be formed. They wanted to be prepared to meet Christ and they, they wanted to walk faithfully with Christ. And, mm-hmm. and it just, it just takes different recipe. So to speak, Um, you know, we've got to learn if, you know, if we've gotten to the point where we can actually find value in reading through the book of Leviticus, we're we're there, Um, you know, (laughs) because we've recognized whether this makes sense to me or not, whether, whether this is giving me, you know, warm feelings or not, this is valuable. This is the, the broccoli. Um, yeah. You know, this is, these are the antioxidants for the soul that God has given to me to take in, uh, whether I understand how it metabolizes in my system or not, it's a value just like John three sixteen is. Mm. So, yeah. I love that formation. Mm. What is forming us? Well, Scott, mm-hmm. thank you so much for taking the time to be here today. Thank you uh, for also taking the time to write this book and your many others. I think some people think it's a glamorous writing life, but I know nope. that it's not. <laughs> <Nope>. <laughs> I'm like, you're called to it and it is a labor of love. So thank you. My pleasure. Thank you again for having me, Amber. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation. Remember to visit graceenoughpodcast.com slash show notes to purchase your copy of Beautiful People Don't Just Happen. 
You'll also find quotes, Grace Enough merchandise, a link to join my email community, and other recommended resources. Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough Podcast. Tune in next time.